Truly Deadly. Written by Rob Aspinall. Narrated by Ella Lynch. Chapter 26. Hold on tight. In the midst of all the chaos, I had a plan. It was the same plan I'd had for years. When times are tough, go shopping. The sign by the side of the motorway told me I was only a short drive away from the Trafford Centre Mall. Unfortunately, the police had a plan too. So did RRB. So did Helicopter Sniper. And so did Old Man River's expiring body. But let's start with the cops. The lead chase car, a high-powered BMW, sped by in the middle lane and cut in front of me, the brake lights flashing on and off as the driver attempted to slow us down. Nice try, Popo man! The Range Rover powered us forward, slamming us into the back of the BMW. I clung onto the wheel and absorbed the shunt. We bumped him again. The BMW accelerated away and another cop car pulled in the space. Now there were two of them and the traffic was thickening like soup. We began the climb up Barton Bridge, a seriously high stretch of road with a sheer drop either side. To make things worse, it was always windy up there. Helicopter Sniper's plan was to paint the inside of the ambulance with my brains. Lucky for me, I wasn't an easy target. The first shot missed when the police tried tandem braking with two cars in front. The second, when I hit the anchors and weaved left into the middle, dragging the Range Rover kicking and screaming with it. The first bullet pinged off the nose of the ambulance. The second fizzed right by me through the cabin, hitting the driver of the cop car on the inside lane. The car wriggled and flipped onto its roof, sliding away along the centre of the motorway. I glanced over at the chopper. It pulled up and overhead into the cloudy blue sky. The police changed tactics too. One stayed a safe distance, in front, while another blocked off my path back into the fast lane. Another motorway sign told me my escape route was getting closer. One mile and counting. We climbed steeper and steeper up the curving incline of the bridge, a busy slip road feeding in from the left up ahead. It was at this point that I began to feel faint, a butterfly rave in my gut and sweat beads forming around my temples. My heart was aching in my chest and tiny black spots began to pop in front of my eyes like the world was a scratchy old film. If I started to see stars, it was all over. Lights out. Circle of concern, only with hitmen, grab teams and guns. Or just plain old death by twisted metal fireball. I gulped for air, as if I was drowning, wiping away the forehead sweat while attempting to blink out the spots from my eyes. Come on, Lorne, get a grip! It was no good. The stars came out to play. I was rattled awake almost instantly by a hailstorm of bullets tearing through the roof, right down the centre of the ambulance. The sound was deafening and terrifying, and for a second or two I forgot who I was, where I was, and what was happening. With my foot off the accelerator, the ambulance was moving slower, but it was still pushing 70. I hauled myself up in the seat, regained control of the wheel, and narrowly avoided a bright green fuel tanker trundling along in the inside lane. The barrier on the left edge of the bridge rushed towards us, and with it, oblivion. I stepped on the brake pedal and turned the wheel to the right. 
We hit the barrier on the left side. Sparks flew and steel screeched, but we stayed on the road. More bullets ripped through the ambo as I pulled us back into the inside lane. This time, they punched sunlight holes in the left side of the cabin, turning passenger seat guy into a human colander. There was no coming back from that one. I swerved left to right, the steering wheel heavier than the moon. I realised RRB was fighting me with opposite lock, riding her brake pedal to slow us down. Since the sky started raining hot terror, the police had officially shat it and got clean out of the way. Only a matter of time before that sniper scored a direct hit. As we came over the crest of the hill, he changed game plan again and took out the right rear tyre of the ambulance. The combined mass of both vehicles held us steady. I saw the chopper in the side mirror do the exact same thing to the Range Rover. It was more than enough. The wheel jerked to the left out of my hands. We spun out of control, round and round and round in a screeching mess. It was a crazy fairground ride back over to the motorway barrier where a dizzying doom plunge waited patiently on the other side. Tire rubber burned in the air as I desperately hung onto the wheel, not even attempting to steer, just bracing for the big bang. The Range Rover took the bulk of the hit, ploughing through the concrete and metal barrier rear end first, coming to a stop halfway over the edge, pulling the ambulance up off its front wheels. As the helicopter hovered out front to check on me, I slumped over the wheel, face smeared in blood. Dead. Chapter 27. Tipping Point. Nah, not really. The blood wasn't mine. It was for the benefit of that sniper, scooped out of a bullet wound from the guy in the passenger seat, then hastily smeared over my forehead. The helicopter hovered a moment. I watched out of one eye, open a crack, as it peeled off into the distance. The sniper, satisfied I was toast. I sat back up in my seat and used a cloth stuffed in the driver's door tray to wipe away the blood. I had a humding of a stiff neck, but otherwise I was in one Lorna-shaped piece. My front door was jammed from too many crunching hits, the passenger door likewise. Out the back was a hundred-foot drop. The only way out was through a gaping hole where the windscreen used to be. I caught my breath for a moment, the siren finally dying as the engine cut out. The ambulance creaked and rocked on a 30-degree angle. I stood gingerly out of my seat and climbed all so gently onto the dashboard. Then I heard a long, continuous beep. The patient in the back was flatlining. Damn you, guilt! Damn you to hell! I let out a resigned sigh and backed up into the cabin. I sidestepped down the incline into the rear of the ambulance. Meanwhile, RRB was unbuckling her seatbelt, face cut to ribbons, but alive. She brought up an automatic rifle and let rip. I ducked instinctively, arms shielding my face. The sound bounced around the inside of the ambulance and left me half deaf. With the windscreen in a million pieces, RRB began the precarious climb over the bonnet, the Range Rover lurching back with any sudden movement. In the meantime, I had to do something about the patient. I looked over the old man. Where to start? Inner Philippe? Any ideas? Philippe's degree was in death, not life. 
I don't think they taught first aid at Hitman School. One look over my shoulder and RRB was getting closer, crawling on all fours over the bonnet. I opened the old croaker's mouth. His lips were crusty and shriveled, with only a couple of brown teeth skewed out of a pair of yellow gums. I blew at his mouth from a foot away. There, I tried. You're no oil painting yourself, spew breath, my inner devil voice told me. Get back in there and suck some ancient. I did as my conscience told me, and it was disgusting. He tasted of gas, but it made no difference. So far, I'd kissed an orange, my best friend, and a dead pensioner in the back of an ambulance. I had to get out more. But first, I had to get out of this. RRB was close to climbing off the bonnet and in to the ambulance. I'd cross that bitch when I came to her. I tried thumping the old man in the chest. Then I spied a defibrillator fixed to the wall behind the bed with a couple of pads attached to curly white wires. If the heart monitor was working off a battery, then surely the same went for the defibrillator. I could blast him, then fry RRB straight after with the same pads. I sped read my way through a thin panel of instructions stuck to the wall next to the unit. But it was too late. I felt a presence behind me. RRB was on her feet, tall, sturdy, pissed. She wiped away the blood dripping from a cut above her right eye and raised the machine gun. There was no time for half measures. I fly-tackled her before she could get a shot off. It wasn't the smartest move. We tumbled into the Range Rover cabin, the weapon bouncing away, destined for the ship canal below. We landed on the back seat in a thumping tangle of arms and legs. RRB pinned me down, stronger than Millie's celebrity perfume. I reached for a notebook in the rear pocket of the driver's seat, red with a hardbound spine. Perfect for jamming into her throat. With RRB coughing and holding her neck, I slid out from under her. She pulled me back by the hospital gown and butted me from a sitting position. I thought my mind was about to crack open. She tapped a knuckle against her forehead. It clanged. A metal plate, she said in Russian. Suddenly, the whole vehicle shunted backwards, holding, but only just. I panicked and scrambled my way to the front of the Range Rover. RRB pulled me back by the gown again, putting more stock in killing than living. I fell into the driving seat and she reached around the headrest, putting a hand over my nose and mouth, pressing, squeezing, suffocating me. I reached up behind me, desperately trying to free myself, but she had the leverage. The slender connection between Range Rover and ambulance whined and threatened to snap. My left hand touched on the release button for the headrest. I pushed it inwards and yanked the legs of the headrest out of their holes. I slid down further in the seat, pulling RRB with me. Then I jammed the headrest legs back in their holes until I heard a click. RRB let go of me. I'd wedged her neck in between headrest and seat, with no way for her to free herself. As I tried to climb out, a section of the bridge fell away and the Range Rover swayed back, throwing me against the back seat. There was a snap, followed by a groan. The Range Rover rolled backwards and yawned up around 70 degrees. I pushed myself off the back seat with both feet, launching through the cabin and over the dash. I could feel my grip on the world slipping away. The Range Rover hit 90 degrees and slid off the bridge. With quick feet, I stepped off the gear lever with my left and off the bottom rim of the steering wheel with my right, jumping through the empty windscreen frame. All I saw 
was sky. Big, grey, ominous sky. But as I jumped, the lump of battered black metal rushed clean beyond me, taking a shrieking, trapped RRB with it, plunging towards the murky ship canal waters below. I reached out mid-air, desperate, at full stretch. One hand caught hold of a twisted strand of metal barrier hanging off the bridge. Then the other. I desperately fought my way back onto the bridge before my grip weakened. Ha! Who would have thunk it? Saved by all those mind-numbing rehab core exercises. As I rolled onto my back, I tuned back into the continuous beep coming from the rear of the ambulance. The patient was still flatlining. Feeling half-dead myself, I climbed in and followed the instructions for the defibrillator, rubbing sticky conductive gel on the top left of his veiny blue chest and the lower right of his ribcage. I turned on the machine and held the pads out ready in aching hands while the machine fired up. The pads charged up and I got a beep and a green light that said, Stick that sucker! I went for it. The guy's body convulsed, arching up off the bed and collapsing down again. Beep! No difference. I charged the pads up again. Come on, old man, live! The pads charged. Boom! Nope. One more time and then I'd give up. Who the hell knows why? But I closed my eyes and imagined him alive, chatting, having a cup of tea with me. Everything had blown over. Phew! Life, eh? I hit him with the pads. Beep! 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 Flipping beep! The old man gasped back into existence. I breathed a huge sigh of relief through a mouth drier than a gluten-free cracker. Are you okay? I asked the old man. He held my hand and removed his oxygen mask. That was the most fun I've had in decades, he said with a big, toothless smile. He cackled and let his oxygen mask snap back against his face. I patted him on the shoulder and left him to rest. Saving his life kind of cancelled out the lives I'd taken. Kind of like eating an apple after a chocolate bar. Kind of. As a procession of tiny blue lights sped towards us, I closed the rear doors of the ambulance, slid into the driver's seat and turned the ignition. The ambulance was back on all fours. It started, it rolled, it drove. Chapter 28. Till You Drop Having got the jump on the police, I ditched the ambulance in the underground car park of the Trafford Centre Mall and wheeled the old man to the bottom of a bank of escalators where he'd be easily found. I rode an escalator up to the tranquil, climate-controlled surrounds of the mall. The soothing sounds of shopping centre music and water fountains helped to calm me down. I was on home turf now, and I knew the place like the inside of my eyelids. The happy result of many, many days with the girls here, trying on clothes we didn't have the money to buy and scoffing fries I wasn't supposed to eat in the food court. The gentle bustle of human traffic echoed around the mall, natural light flooding in through the curved glass ceiling. I headed to my fave clothes store. It was a big one, always packed with sales racks I could quick change behind. Ha <laughs> ha, check out Freak Show. A pair of walking turds with egos bigger than their brains came the other way in their tribal tats and wannabe gangster get-ups. 
a couple of tangerine tramps in tow, overdone panda eyes giving me the ups and downs. Look at the state of it. Where did you escape from? Ah, the familiar cocktail of social awkwardness and self-loathing. Drink it in, Lorne. The sensible thing would have been to ignore them, like usual. Still, I couldn't resist a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'd brought the empty gun with me in case it came in handy. It did. I pulled it from my knickers and held it sideways in their faces. What was that? I didn't catch it, I said, backing them up against the window of Victoria's secret. Oh, you should have seen their faces. Absolute, pant-rinsing terror. I took it a step further and got all up in the first turd's grill. I put the gun under his chin. Whoa, chillax, I didn't mean nothing, he said. Unbelievable. Even at gunpoint, he had the arrogance to tell me what to do. Bang, I shouted. The whole group jumped. But turd number one, especially, a circle of urine advancing around the crotch of his low-hanging jeans. Oh dear, I said, drunk on power. Have we had an accident? I moved on, getting plenty of funny looks, feeling a little unhinged. A little devil-may-care, yet liking it. I was only a few feet away from the clothes store when I saw her. Disaster! Gingerbun, alone but alive, her left eye black and blue. She spotted me across a crowd of shoppers. This time, I made the first move, ducking into the store. I ran low between racks to the fitting room tucked away at the back, a burly security guard tailing me all the way. Can I help you? An attendant asked, putting her platinum bob between me and the fitting room entrance. Yeah, you can get out of my way, I said. I felt a heavy hand on my shoulder. Come on, the security guard said. Out. One red rag and one broken arm later, the guard dropped to his knees, howling in pain. The attendant bolted. I jogged along the narrow fitting room corridor, raking open the long black curtains, catching young women either half-nude or midway through an in-depth analysis of their bum in the mirror. What are you doing? It's taken. Get out, bitch. Hey, what the... Weirdo. One by one, I discovered they were all busy. I tried the cubicle on the end. A glam brunette who reminded me of Becky stood in a pencil skirt and a black bra with the tag still on doing her best duck face in the full-length mirror while trying to angle a selfie. She jumped out of her skin in shock and embarrassment. Ha ha, caught in the act. Any other time, priceless and hilarious. Right that minute, entirely non-pertinent. I flashed her the piece, sticking out of my waistband, and put a finger to my lips. She huddled in the corner, arms across her chest. I threw the curtain back across and crouched on a circular white wooden stool. The chart music was quieter in the fitting rooms, and I could hear the curtains being opened again, one by one. More squealing and swearing. Gingerbun. It had to be. I heard her surprise the woman in the booth next door before a pair of sexless black shoes scuffed to a halt on the other side of the curtain. The tips of her bitten-down fingernails curled around the top edge of the rail. She ripped the curtain open and took aim with her gun. I sprang off the stool like a cheetah intercepting its dinner. I forced Gingerbun all the way back against the wall of the fitting room corridor, smacking her gun hand against the wall until it dropped to the floor. 
She was strong as a bison, though, and pushed me off her into the booth. She stepped inside, closing the curtain behind her. She raised her fists like a boxer, throwing a left, a right. One I ducked, another I blocked. She grabbed my hair and kneed me hard in the gut, shoved me back against the mirror and dug me with a left to the ribs. Breathing was tough, more so when she pressed a thumb hard against my windpipe while digging me again with another punch. The girl in the corner whimpered. I reached down as far as my arm would go, fingers grasping desperately at the stool. I got hold of one of the legs and slammed Gingerbun upside her temple. She instantly let go. I swung the stool again. She chopped it away and it broke in two on the floor. She covered up like a boxer on the ropes, getting her bearings back. I punched her hard in the left boob. Ooh, the girl in the corner shuddered. Same again, I thought. Gingerbun batted it away easy, back in the game. The tempo rose as we traded moves at close quarters, faster than the eye could see. This was all Philippe. At first, I was blocking, staying with it. But I started to counter-attack at the end of each flurry she threw at me. I got her once, twice, three, four times in her stupid fat face, and once in the sternum, making her wheeze. She kicked out. I blocked off with the sole of my foot. Next came an elbow. I reversed it into a hold. Must have been a good one from the way she snarled through gritted teeth. She pulled my head down with her free hand, threatening to rip out a chunk of my hair. Patchy hair would have been a fate worse than death. I had to give up the hold. Gingerbun wrapped an arm round the back of my head and pushed a karate chop hand up hard under my nose. Snot and tears streamed onto my tongue. She walked me forward towards the mirror. Take a good look at yourself she said in a Russian accent, a lot like Range Rover bitches. Had I killed her friend, her sister? This is how it ends for you, she said. Like I cared what I looked like right now. I'd died a thousand deaths already, looking like pan-fried puke in front of the mirror. Still, I couldn't resist a jab back. Well, I said, your hair's shit and those shoes are awful. I just thought you should know. There was zero wriggle room out of the hold. It hurt like hell, but I hadn't done all this surviving just to give up now. They say all this fight-or-flight stuff scrambles the brain. Lucky for me, all the skill sets that mattered belonged to my heart. The girl in the corner was trying to make herself as small as possible, her back exposed along with her bra strap. Fast as a flash, I unclipped the strap with finger and thumb, whipped the bra of her boobs and pulled it tight in both hands. With the core strength of a jungle monkey, I pushed my weight against Gingerbun and ran up the wall. Yup, I ran right up that bad boy and kicked off, twisting upside down out of the bitch's grip, wrapping the strap around her throat and pulling tight. Her spine cracked and she gurgled as I leaned back, like a rider pulling on the reins of a horse. She had a few inches on me, so I jumped on her back and dug both heels into her side, pushing them up under her ribs. I clung on like a baby koala as she rammed me backwards against the mirror, the wall, the opposite wall, out through the curtain, back into the booth. She flailed with her arms, but couldn't get a grip. I had her now. She dropped to her knees in front of the mirror, watching herself go. She fought it some more, flipping me round onto my back, her weight on top of me. Still... I hung on. She grasped at thin air. I tightened my grip. 
she went quiet, then stiff. And that was that. I pushed her limp body off me and got to my feet, bra dangling in hand. This time, I got a proper eyeful of myself in the mirror. Jesus! No wonder the turds in the moor were laughing at me. I looked like a sweaty, homeless meth head who'd just spent the night in a bin. My hair was wind tunnel wild, my lips painted in dried sick stains, blood-spattered gown torn at the shoulder, feet black as coal, with random bruises up my legs and arms. Oh, and a lovely red band around my neck, where the world and his wife had taken turns trying to choke the life out of me. The girl in the corner clutched her naked boobs and shook. You've got a killer bod, I told her, breathing like I'd been running. Oh, um, thanks, she said straightening up a little. I held her bra up against my chest, followed by a top she'd hung on a rail. Hey, what size are you? I asked. Chapter 29 Identity Theft No one noticed the girl in the charcoal pencil skirt and chiffon black blouse walk out of the store with her chin up, a designer handbag perched daintily on her wrist. Security were too busy ushering me out of the door while armed police jackbooted in towards the fitting rooms, looking for a crazy rampaged chick in a hospital gown. Hallelujah for the changing room girl. She'd come out armed with everything from scented wipes to a chic fedora hat, bug-eye sunglasses and lip gloss that tasted of peach, even chewing gum and bottled water to nuke the pong of stale vom chunks. A break at last. She was near enough my size to be my body double, and while the Coca-Cola red heels were a little loose, I rocked them anyway, swaying along like the richest, cockiest diva in the universe. It's all about the way you walk, Becky once told me. Shove out your tits, stick out your bum, and let everything wiggle. By the time they found a naked changing room girl wandering out of the booth clinging onto her lady bits, I'd be halfway down the mall, melting into the crowd. I'd offered her my gun-smoked knickers, of course, along with my blood-stained rag of a medical gown. Oh, God, no, she'd said. I'd also told her that if she raised the alarm before I was out of the store, I'd kill everyone inside the mall, then come back and kill her too. As I wiggled along, I had a quick strategy meeting with myself. First, I had to get out of here. But what then? I had the girl's phone, but didn't know anyone's number. I could dial 999, but who knew if the police were in on it? If Club Murder were MI5 or MI6, they'd have to be working with them. Heading home was also out of the question. And if these people knew about my hospital appointments, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to put grab teams outside the school gates or friends' houses. I couldn't even use my bank card. They'd track it. Then there were all the cameras. I'd read somewhere that the UK was the CCTV capital of the world. And let's not forget the Brits and Yanks spying on emails. No, the only way to survive was to keep moving. Avoid anything familiar. Right now, I had to act like I was just another shopper. The offer of a free makeover in a nearby department store could only help. And if I didn't make it out of here, at least I'd die pretty. In my new outfit, with my hair pinned up maturely inside my hat, I must have looked like the perfect candidate to the bored cosmetics girl hanging around the front of the store. I took a seat on a high stool between beauty counters. 
I removed my hat and sunglasses as the deliberately overdone girl checked my skin tone. Oh, that's a nasty bruise, she said, pointing to the shiner on my cheek. In fact, you've got a couple of them. Your neck is red too. Like I didn't know. I got attacked, I said, jumped me from behind. Really? That's terrible, she said. Don't worry, I've got just the thing to cover that up. Then we'll have you looking amazing. Lovely outfit, by the way. Thanks, I said, watching her bend over to lift some products out of a drawer. After she concealed the bruises, applied the foundation and showed me how to contour my features to look older and more exotic, she went to town on my eyes. One of the mall security guards approached, bow-legged and bald. I tensed up on the stall as he held out a photo and asked the cosmetics girl if she'd seen the police suspect in the photo. A grainy black and white print of my badass self running into the clothes store. She shook her head. No, Jeff. Jeff fixed me with eyes too big for their sockets. What about you? Have you seen this girl? I glanced briefly at the picture, in the process noticing my medical bracelet peeping out from beneath the cuff on my blouse. Shit, I forgot to take it off. Sorry, Jeff. I said, subtly pulling the cuff forward over my wrist so that it covered the bracelet. I think I would have remembered, I said, embellishing needlessly. She looks crazy. What did she do? asked the cosmetics girl. You don't want to know, love. Trust me. My makeover was finished. The girl stood back, admiring her handiwork. Doesn't she look beautiful? she said. Stunning, said Jeff, face creasing into a smile. Unlike this one he said, flicking a finger against the A4 print. Look who's talking, cue ball. Thank you, ladies, Jeff said, showing the photo to other staff in the store. My right hand relaxed out of a fist. I walked out of that store feeling like a cool billion, rather than the usual two-quid book token. With the posh silk knickers and push-up bra I'd stolen from the girl, I felt invincible. Yet now it was time to leave. I also felt a pang of sadness. I wanted to stay here forever, try on clothes, get more makeovers, go bowling, catch a movie and eat junk food. Normal stuff that didn't involve any of the three S's, shooting, stabbing and strangling. I took the escalator down to the bus station, where police in neon yellow jackets were waiting, checking faces. I wanted to shit, but I kept riding the escalator, playing it cool. Remove your sunglasses, please, madam, said one of the two officers at the foot of the escalator. He was one of those 40-something guys who looked like, well, a 40-something guy. Excusez-moi, I asked in my best French accent. He pointed to my face. Sun glass is, he said, loud and slow, like he was talking to an old person. Ah, pardon-moi, I said, removing the shades and fluttering my made-up eyelashes. My English? Not good. I flashed him a driven snow smile as he looked at his photo, then at me, really hoping he couldn't hear my heart thumping or notice my legs shaking. OK, he said, waving me through. Have a good day. I slipped my sunglasses back on and wiggled off. Wit, he said. I stopped dead in my tracks and half turned as he stomped over. Whatever happens, a voice inside me said, don't get cuffed. As he reached out to put a hand on me, I was all set to put him down. Here, he said, 
grabbing a clothing tag still attached to my bra strap, peeping out of the armhole of my blouse. He snapped it off and handed it to me. Don't want this ruining your look, he chuckled to himself. You probably have no idea what I'm saying. I shrugged and smiled. You're a complete idiot, I said in French. He smiled and waved me away before returning to his post. I turned and walked. And like a fart in the wind, I was gone. This has been Truly Deadly. Written by Rob Aspinall. Narrated by Ella Lynch.